I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. Folks, this show is all about performance. And sometimes we talk about athletic performance. Sometimes we talk about how you show up in bigger life. The key is that the heart of it is a set of practices and habits that can try and deliver you to sustained higher performance. One of the tools that we use for our athletes, as well as for our busy executives or people just looking to feel better and do the things that they love to do and do them well is Inside Tracker. And the reason for that is that we can take a look inside at biometrics and combine the findings with the expert advice from the team of scientists at Inside Tracker to try and get precise around what you should focus on. And that strategic roadmap will deliver you with the right focus on the things that will move your performance needle in no matter what arena you're chasing. Now, you don't need to be a Purple Patch athlete to take advantage of this. It's a great tool no matter what journey of performance you're on. All you need to do is head to insidetracker.com slash purplepatch. That's insidetracker.com slash purplepatch. And we've got a sneaky code for you, Purple Patch Pro 20. That's going to get you 20% off everything at the store. Now, if you're not sure how to integrate Inside Tracker, but you're interested, feel free to reach out to us, info at purplepatchfitness.com. We'd be happy to help you out and give you a little bit more insights into how how we leverage the tool with our broad swath of the athletes that we help. All right. I hope you enjoy the show. It's all about travel today and it's going to be a useful one. And so here we are, the show. And welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. As ever, your host, Matt Dixon. And today we're going to talk about travel. In fact, I'm going to help you build a toolkit to manage travel. Now, there's multiple ways that we can talk about this, but I've decided to break it up into three distinct sections. The first section is we're going to talk about preparation and execution of travel leading up to races. So that's clearly for the athletes in our audience. There is so much importance that goes into making sure that you train your booty off get ready for prime racing, but it doesn't come unraveling because of the negative impact of travel. And so we've got lots to say on that. Some of the strategic approaches that we use with our athletes to try and help them arrive at race site and be ready to toe the line, both fit, but also really fresh. We're then going to broaden our horizon a little bit. And we're going to talk about two more scenarios. Section two, we're going to dive into jet lag and how you can mitigate the impact of time zones. Now, this is going to be the focus where we're talking about leaving home base, getting to destination, and as quickly as you can, adjusting to the local time zone. And there's lots of scenarios for that. You could be traveling for business and vacations. You could be traveling for business where you're going to stay there for an extended time. Or, of course, you could be traveling and get ready for a race. And so that's going to be section two. And finally, section three, we're going to dive into a little bit of a shorter term travel scenario. And this is going to be particularly appropriate for folks that are maybe traveling for business. Scenario in here, you're leaving home base, 
you travel across time zones, but within 24 or 48 hours, you're going to return to home base. And so in that scenario, you want to perform when you're at your travel destination, but you want to remain on your local time zone. And it turns out there's a whole bunch of strategies and tools that you can do to try and offset the negative impact of travel, but ensure that you can still show up and perform with whatever you're doing in that travel destination. And so these are going to be the three sections. Now, what I thought I would do is I would just jump right into it. I was going to bypass Matt's newsings this week. I was going to let Barry have the week off of his very four sore fingers and allow him to put his ukulele down and not do word of the week. But we've received this week, quite randomly, several questions around our live video bike coaching and on-demand coaching, I should add to that. And so I am going to just wedge in a little bit of a tutorial around the video bike coaching because so many of you guys have been asking. And so with that, Barry, we are just going to sneak in here, a little slide in Matt's Newsings. Yes, folks, Matt's Newsings, and it's true. This week, uh, we've happened to have a, a little bit of a minor avalanche of questions around our live and on-demand bike coaching. And, uh, and I'll lay out the questions for you. And as I read them, I thought, well, there's a little bit of a ripple of interest in this. Now, you would have heard me over the show talk about our live coaching and on-demand coaching that we have and we leverage for all of our Purple Patch coached athletes, whether they're individually coached or on the squad program. But these are the questions that we've got, and I'm going to package them all in and sort of go through them piece by piece very, very quickly and give you a universal answer. Because if the folks are writing and asking, and then it means that maybe there's a broader interest in this. The first question was, do you need to be a Purple Patch athlete to participate? The second was a couple of questions that were received around how the program is structured a little bit, as well as what bike do I need to participate? That's a, a great one that I want to cover off. And then finally, we've got a slew of questions around how it different, how it's differentiated from Zwift and Trainer Road, some of the other apps that are out there that link into these smart trainers that are now so popular. So for Matt's Newsings, I thought I'd just cover off on them very, uh, very quickly. So the first question, do you need to be a Purple Patch athlete? Well, as a Purple Patch athlete, these bike coach sessions, and they are two-way video, so I can see you at home, I can give you feedback, actually coach you through the session. And of course, you can participate live or on demand, so at a time of your choosing. Uh, they're integrated into your programming. And so in other words, you don't, there's no additional expense as a purple patch coached athlete. This is actually central to how we coach. But we do now have, very quietly, we actually didn't make a big hoo-ha about it, but we do have the option for self-coached athletes or athletes that are, don't need a coach or athletes are actually coached by another organization but can leverage these bike sessions. And so it's just a standalone subscription, very, very affordable, where you get access to the, all of the on-demand sessions as well as the live sessions. So that's just on the website. We'll pop it into the, uh, into the show notes. But, uh, but yeah, it's absolutely available. You, you do not need to be a Purple Patch athlete to participate. And, uh, and it's a great program. You can take advantage of my coaching and our coach of, uh, team of coaches to help you become a better bike rider. Uh, what bike do you need? You can actually do these sessions on any form of bike. Your Gucci approach, the best approach, is if you had a smart trainer or smart bike, one in which you can integrate and leverage the software to its optimal 
uh, sort of capabilities on that. But you can do it on any bike on a bike trainer. As they were like, we like we like to call them a dumb trainer, or quite sneakily, a lot of people do these on spin bikes or whisper it pelotons as well, ignoring the very good-looking peloton instructors. Instead, having to deal with me and uh, and leveraging the uh, the sessions. Now, in those scenarios where you're not connected to the software, you're actually utilizing the video component. You're not just tied into the software, but still highly effective coaching. The program is structured, a lot of people asked around this, in a structured and progressive way. So that's the big differentiator, I think. And that's the fact that this is not a la carte. You don't just come into an ecosystem where you need to pull different workouts off a shelf. You're really sort of buying into a curriculum that evolves over the course of a season. And what that does is ensures that we can break through plateaus and ensure that you're going on almost an educational and training curriculum to get you better and better and better where you have your best riding at the right time of the year. And so it is sort of running in parallel to the Purple Patch methodology. So whether you're an athlete training or whether you're looking for someone to be someone that just wants to show up and beat your friends on the weekend when you're enjoying riding your bicycle outside, this is a program that you're buying into, not just a software package where it's a bunch of really good high quality workouts. And I think that's important. So how does it, the last question was, how does it differentiate between things like Zwift and TrainerRoad? They're great platforms. They deliver really good workouts, highly specific. There's community elements to them, and that's great. But this is a very different thing because this is more like bike school. This is where you're actually getting coached. And so not only are the workouts high quality, it goes well beyond a series of intervals. We're actually teaching you to become a better bike rider outside. So how to leverage your gears properly, how to navigate terrain, how to foster the right pedal stroke. And then you are actually coached through the workouts, no different than if you showed up to your local master swim workout or your local track session, where it's actually coaching. And that's how you actually amplify the results of this. And so I think that that's the biggest differentiator, that if you actually want to be coached, where you're getting feedback and you're being driven to actually become a better bike rider and de develop these skills and techniques that you can go and apply on your bike riding outside, this is what you're getting with that platform. So that's why we don't tend to leverage Trainer Road and Swift, and we really buy into this because this is small group coaching. That's what we're looking to do, and that's my job as a coach. That's the Purple Patch coaching team's responsibility is to make you a better bike rider. And it doesn't matter if you're a triathlete, if you just live, love riding your bike outside and you want to beat up on your friends on the weekend, this is by far the most effective way that you can leverage indoor training efficiency and safety, but also become a better bike rider for your events and your riding outside. So that's the big sort of chapter or the big overview of it all. I hope that answers your questions. But without further ado, Barry, I want to get cracking on this because I've got a lot to say about travel. So here we go. Without further ado, it is, ladies and gentlemen, this week's travel-focused meat and potatoes. Yes, it is the meat and potatoes. We're getting ready and I've been rubbing my hands with excitement for this one. It's a great subject and I think it's one that really does positively impact 
all of the Purple Patch audience listening. And so let your uh, ears perk up for this one because I think you're going to be able to draw quite a few tips out of this. Now, we're going to break this down, as I said in the introduction, to three main sections. The first is we're going to really cater to the athlete specifically. So if you're training for an event, a marathon, a triathlon, the Ironman World Championships, whatever it might be, and you've got travel in which you have to get to a destination. And in my mind, I'm thinking across time zones, but it doesn't necessarily mean across time zones. But the key is that you want to offset or mitigate the negative impact of travel stress and show up with 100% of your hard work and training be able to be a flourish and not be impacted by negative travel. So we're going to talk about preparation and some of the tools and strategies that we go through. And then in uh, section two and section three, we're going to dive into a broader perspective where we're going to talk about jet lag and then we're going to talk about some travel tips when you're actually going to dance into a destination, perform in the destination, but remain on your local time zone at home. So those are going to be the three sections. Let's start with our athletes then. If you're not an athlete, hey, I think you might still benefit from this, but also section two, I promise you we're gonna get into that jet lag and that's gonna be appropriate for everyone. So let's talk about athletes preparing for races in which those races include traveling to the destination. I think the first thing that we should do is frame success. So what we wanna do as an athlete is you wanna arrive at race site and you want to mitigate the negative impact of the stress of travel because it is a really high impact. It's a high stressor. And you want to be in this place ready to thrive despite being in a foreign environment. So that's what we're trying to achieve here. And so we've got several elements to that. Firstly, is the actual direct impact of travel stress itself. And that can be crossing time zones, but it also equally can be the fact that you are probably spending many hours in a static position, not a very good functional position in a car or in an airplane. So that's the typical way that people obviously travel to races. So we're looking to offset the physical components of this and the musculoskeletal. We're also looking to maintain prime performance readiness. And that's with some specific training that you might do. How do you actually leverage the training that you're doing to keep you really sharp and ready to be activated? And then ultimately, you wanna to toe the start line with all of your physical resources. So that's full hydration status and full substrate. So in other words, you want your energy stores topped up so that you are able to bring your very best self. And the one final component is you want to have all of that done with your equipment race ready. And that's obviously a big thing for folks like triathletes that are sometimes having to pack their bikes into boxes and get to destination, unpack it. We want all of that equipment race ready. So that's really important. So if we are going to tackle this thing of arriving at racing, the journey begins before you actually depart your home base. Now, let me start with a story here, okay? I remember many years ago now, arriving at the first of our multiple training camps that we did for our pro squad. Now, this one was in Scottsdale, Arizona. It was at the end of January, and we had about 10 professional athletes there. We also had just a one single amateur athlete, a guy called Brian. 
And Brian was a father. He was a very busy executive, and he just so happened to be a heck of an amateur athlete. And I decided to invite Brian along. I thought he would be a great addition to the team. So here we are, a squad of 10 pros, one amateur, 11 athletes globally. We stood at the driveway of the home base, our uh, main house that was going to be base for the 10-day camp down there in Scottsdale, Arizona. It was a crisp, nice morning. And in the driveway, the athletes were busy preparing their bicycles and all of their equipment. We were heading out on the first ride of camp. And I stood there and I observed the scene. And very quietly, I called the attention of all of the athletes. And I said, hey, if you could, please rack up your bikes. What I want you to do is I want you to head inside to the kitchen. And I was, of course, granted or viewed back with a look of bemusement. We were getting ready to go on a bike ride. Why was I asking all of these athletes to rack up their bikes and go back inside? And while their eyes clearly questioned me, they did as I was told. After all, I'm the head coach. So what followed for me once we were in the kitchen was a rather wordy lecture around a very simple concept. And what I explained to these athletes was that if I watched them in this kitchen that we stood, get out a chopping board, get out carrots and chop carrots. It would inform a lot to me around their approach to all things in life. And I said to them, how you chop carrots is how you do everything in life. Now the question is, you might be thinking, why did I talk about athletes chopping carrots when they should be out riding their bikes? Well, do you remember that driveway and I stood there and I surveyed the scene? Let me tell you what I saw. I glanced around and made a very interesting observation. There was only one athlete of the 11 who had anything resembling a clean bicycle. And do you know who it was? It was Brian, our amateur athlete, the busiest person amongst all of us. The pros I looked around and their bikes were caked in dust, dirt, chains that were unclean, and so much more. Every single bicycle was screaming out, getting ready for the mechanical issues that lay ahead. How you chop carrots is how you do everything in life. And so if you show up to a race or a training camp, in our example, with a dirty and unserviced bike, that's going to only radically increase your risk at a whole bunch of frustration and potentially very expensive mistakes. And so the first step, if you are going to arrive at a race and you are going to be traveling, the first thing you want to do is ensure that all of your equipment is absolutely dialed in well in advance of departure. You should have clean and serviced gear. You should pack spares of anything that can break. And you can ensure, especially if you need to box your bicycle, that it's done with real care and attention. Now, what you can do as a little pro tip from me is you can take my approach, which is persuade someone else to build and pack up your bike for you. That's how I chop carrots. I like to outsource it. But the concept is there. And this concept extends to a bunch of pre-travel aspects that you actually have as an athlete complete control over, but also can clear mental clutter and stress. And that's a big part of it. 
You can't undo all of the physiological distress or stressing that occurs with travel, but you can declutter your mind and you can simplify life. And so get the equipment dialed in. That's number one. Number two, you want to get onto the laptop or your desktop and you want to set up a fantastically simple Google spreadsheet or the equivalent software. I'm not necessarily attached to Google, but you want to have a spreadsheet and that should be your home base for everything that involves this race that includes travel. That's including all of your travel information, your reservations, car, rental, uh, flights, hotels, everything. And including in there your rough, while flexible, rough daily schedule of everything around important race deal details, such as when you need to check in, transitions and drop-off, registration location and everything. Having a central place is going to be so helpful. And then I encourage you to share it with all of your travel partners and friends. That's gonna be a really helpful thing because what you're doing there in a component where you're going into a foreign place, including travel, with a whole bunch of logistics is you're putting a framework and structure around it. And I can't overstate how helpful that is for even the most free birds of among us. That's really important. Number three, I'd really, I'd really encourage you to book travel that supports your physiological system, okay? In other words, book travel that can have the smallest imprint and minimizes stress. So what do I mean by that? Well, you might wanna think twice about booking that 5 a.m. flight departure, especially if you live an hour or more from the airport, because 5 a.m. doesn't sound that bad, but that is a two or 3 a.m. wake up. So immediately you're shooting yourself on the foot so far as recovery time. I would also aim, if at all possible, to try and skip red-eye overnight flights, if possible. Now, if you're traveling from the US to Europe, the highest likelihood it's gonna be overnight. But if you can minimize red-eye, even if it's a little cheaper, even if you think, oh, I'm not gonna lose a day, I would rather lose a day and travel across day flights if at all possible. And if you're driving, and then you might wanna think about a similar concept. Don't just get from A to B through hard work and toughness. If, be willing to extend the trip a little bit, integrate some breaks into there. Even having a little bit of an easy run or a walk break in a nice town or destination, stopping for a nice full lunch break, or even having hotel breaks, breaking a big one day travel into two days, if you can do it. It's actually marvelous at minimizing musculoskeletal stress and emotional stress, and it becomes really important. And we should think about this, how much time and effort you've invested for the weeks and months ahead to get ready for this race, just to undo it because you're in a rush to get to the destination. If you can add a day, if you can add a few hours of travel, but make it more stress-free, it's gonna have a material imprint on how you show up to the start line. Really, really important, very simple stuff, but really beneficial. All right, now we talked about home base. Point number four is schedule your life. As a person, I tend to be a little bit more of a free bird. I like to go with the flow. And that's, I think, absolutely fine. Having a certain amount of structure that fits you in life is a beneficial thing. And we're all different on that. But 
Occasionally, in certain situations, having more structure and more organization can be really beneficial. And when you're traveling to a race, that is one of those examples. You want to remove the guesswork, you want to limit the stress. And I think that as you leave to head to a race, plan everything. Now you realize that with a plan, similar to a fueling plan in your race, you're gonna then work the plan. You're gonna have to adapt. It's not going to be checking the checklist and getting it exactly right, but putting some structure and thought of when you're gonna do your training, when you're gonna do registration, where you're gonna have your reservations for dinner and so on, getting that organized up front and getting everyone aligned is going to help you stay on rhythm and it's gonna remove some of the chaos that often is synchronized or lined up with a race event. Things get busy. You gotta prepare your equipment. You gotta get registered. You wanna do your preparation and your training. If you can have it organized, it's going to help you. And that means that you can remove that nervous energy from the days prior and you can invest that energy into your best race day performance. Finally, bring some of your creature comforts with you. What do I mean by that? Well, there's lots of things that we as athletes tend to really like as a part of our ritual at home. You might have some specific foods that you really like and you love them, but maybe you can only get them at your hometown or your village. Well, bring them with you. And perhaps you like to use on a daily basis some of your special powders and potions. I don't know what they are, and folks, I'm talking about the legal kind here, but things like protein powders and supplements, anything that you like to include in your daily routine, why don't you put them into baggies and bring them with you? And finally, even consider bringing your pillow from your bed at home. Yep, research suggests that having your own pillow can actually foster improved sleep, something around the scent that brings familiarity to us. But it's really good to have if you're going on a long car journey or as a passenger on a long haul flight. Really beneficial to be able to help you have a nice little bit of downtime on those adventures. And so that's a really good way to organize the mind, free up capacity, but also look after the body. And ultimately, look, travel creates really, really big physiological and musculoskeletal stress. And so we want to offset it. So beyond those logistical sides of things, what else can you do? Well, there's some things that you can do to limit and offset that direct musculoskeletal and physiological stress. Number one, probably primary on these, is hydration. Maintaining a full hydration status is good. And we want to actually enter any event at full hydration status anyway, so that's really helpful. And so you want to drink plenty of fluids. And I would recommend that most of those fluids have some electrolytes. You don't need to overload, but some electrolytes to draw it into the intercellular hydration, as we like to call it. And you might sort of think about this and think, ah, oh, but every time I drink too many fluids when I'm on a car journey, I have to stop at gas stations at a more frequent basis and I just wanna get there. And I don't like getting up on a plane too much, but those pit stops are performance enhancers. You're shifting body positions, you're opening up the hips, you're changing your posture, and ultimately that's a good thing. And so that's an opportunity to circulate blood, shift the body position, etc. So that's a really good thing. 
The second thing is keeping the snacks going. Now, this changes in section two. We're going to talk about this if you're crossing time zones sometimes. But if you are going to snack, it's really important that you try and prepare with healthy snacks, mostly protein focused. More importantly, trying to avoid too many sugary carb loaded snacks. So you don't just rely on gas stations for these because we really want to reduce the consumption of lots of sugary and sweet snacks, things that are just spiking the blood glucose. Instead, keeping it stable, plenty of protein, offsetting some of the negative impact, a really good strategy to help it. And finally, helping the body on arrival. And this is where really easy training comes into play. If you are traveling to a race and you arrive to a destination, one of the first things that you want to do is get the blood circulating. There's a few scenarios here. If you get to race site, you get to your destination and it's pretty late, so it's early evening, you might not have time for proper training. So what you do want to try and do in that scenario is go for a walk. Even if you're arriving at 9 or 10 p.m., 15 to 20 minute walk, circulate the blood, it can do wonders. It just calms the body down. On the other hand, if you arrive with plenty of time, and then it's terrific to get in some very easy training. Now we have runners that are listening, we have triathletes, we have all different sorts of sports. Let me give you an example. You might just go for a 30 minute easy jog. And that 30 minute easy jog might include a little bit of activation. We'll talk about more of that in section two, but some 30 second pickups to speed to try and tell the brain, hey, I'm here and I'm ready to perform. And we're gonna use those in activations. So that's gonna spark the dialogue between brain and muscle really, really good. And finally, if you arrive where no session is possible, you have a 1 a.m. arrival time. That's where a little bit of sense needs to put into action. You just need to get to sleep. In that case, first thing in the morning, go and do a very, very easy training session, very low stress, not hard at all, really smooth, let it flow in, and then go and have a great breakfast to restore your energy stores and your hydration status. Really easy, okay? So those are the key components for the athletes. And if you plan ahead and you plot your days leading into the events itself with good organization, you really are equipped to limit the negative impact of travel. And of course, then you can focus your mind on race prep, getting ready, and all safe in the knowledge that you're bringing all of your fitness, but also your freshness to race day. And that's how great performance starts to happen. So with that in mind, I think it's time to expand our mindset. Athletes, I gave you full-blooded attention for the last 10 or 15 minutes, but it's not all about athletes in today's show. So let's expand and let's go to part two. And in part two, we're going to dig into travel in which your goal is to be firing on all cylinders at the local time zone of destination. Okay, so that's what we want to focus about here. So to ensure that we're in lockstep here, let me give you a couple of scenarios that we'll come back to as we talk about this. A couple of different scenarios so that we make sure that we're speaking about the same thing. So imagine my friend Jimmy. My friend Jimmy lives in LA and he has to travel to London. 
So that's a big trip, okay? That's about an 11 hour crossing eight time zones. So it's eight hour time difference to go through. And the reason that Jimmy is traveling there is he's gonna be in London for five to six days where he's got a series of really important meetings for his work. And so what he wants to do is shift as quickly as he can to local time zone, London, Greenwich Mean Time, the Queen's time zone, ladies and gentlemen, or I should say the King's now. And he wants to bring his best self to those meetings. So that's a great example. We can also, under here, talk about Jenny, another one of our athletes that we coach, who Jenny is based in New York and is going to be traveling to Nice in France. And she's going to be racing a triathlon. So, of course, she wants to perform her best in the race that is just four days after arrival. So she wants to limit the impact of the physiological stress and get race ready, performance ready to race local time zone as quickly as we can within four days. She wants to bring her best physiological self. So you've got an athlete, you've got a busy traveling executive. They're both looking to shine and bring their best cognitive self, their best energy to things that are important to them at the local destination. Very simple. All right. So what we want to do there is we want to shock our circadian rhythm. We want to convert them to, in this scenario, European time zone, Nice, France or London, depending on whether we're talking about Jenny or Jimmy. Super. So let's do the travel playbook. What we're going to do here is we're going to break it down into four sections. What you can do around meals and hydration, what you can do about movement or training, when we talk about Jenny. And then the third section is going to be supplements and light manipulation. Really important. And finally, that is little extras. Yes, a few things that we can add on top of it. So four sections, meal and hydration, movement and training, light manipulation and supplements, and finally the extras. Let's dive in with meals first, because it turns out that what you eat when actually has a pretty big imprint on your ability to shift time zones. And so if you really want to get strategic, we want to think about this. And the approach in our scenarios that we lay out, a little case studies, is actually begin well beyond or well before when you get onto the plane. All right. So let's use our scenario here. Let's pretend that we have an afternoon flight. That's going to be what we're going to build it. And that the concepts are easily applicable or transferable to other times that you might be departing. But in our case study, we're leaving in the afternoon. Now, what you would do in this scenario as a part of the Purple Patch Travel Toolkit is you would get up and you would have a nice quality breakfast. Now, quite commonly, that would be after your morning training session, okay, or after your exercise session in the morning. A good thing to exercise. We'll come to that. But have a really good quality breakfast. So that might be something like eggs with avocado and an inner tortilla with a whole bunch of fruit. It might be a big bowl of oatmeal with some protein powder and a cacophony of fruit and maybe some yogurt and nuts and some other components. So a really big, hearty breakfast. Then you're going to have a very light lunch, more protein focused. So you might have some greens like a salad with some chicken, maybe some nuts and other components. And you want to make sure that you consume that nice light lunch at, at least three hours before you get onto the plane. And here's the headline news. Those are going to be your last calories before you arrive to destination. So at least three hours before you get on the plane, you have a nice light lunch. And then you're going to start doing something 
and I'll whisper it, you're going to do something that you don't hear me recommend very much. You're going to start fasting. Yes, Matt Dixon said fasting. You can hydrate normally. You can maintain your regular hydration status, but I'm going to have you fast before and all the way through the flight. Alrighty. Now, if you get really hungry and then it's absolutely okay to have some light snacks, but I would rather you lean into things like turkey jerky, nuts, rather than very carb heavy, very sugary snacks. And you absolutely want to avoid that big plain meal. Okay, we want to put you as much as we can into a fasted state as you get onto the plane. Now, throughout the plane ride, the big journey where you're crossing time zones, on the flip side, you want to hydrate like a camel. Now, I would prefer you to have added electrolytes into there, but you want to make sure that you're continually hydrating, even if it means that you're going to wake up and go for a pee quite a few times. Now, a couple of other components here that are going to be helpful. I would actually bring forward your caffeine in the morning. If you tend to like caffeine, it's absolutely fine to have it with breakfast. But in this scenario, I would try not to have any caffeine after about nine or 10 in the morning. All right. So if you tend to have an early afternoon or a lunchtime cup of coffee, remove it for this day of travel. That's really important. And the fasting component is important. And it goes without saying that means that on that plane, even though you're trapped in a tube, even though you're bored, and even though quite often they're giving it to you for free, you're going to avoid alcohol. Okay. Because alcohol is just an additional stressor and it's a suppressant. You're going to go through the whole of this trip well hydrated, and you're going to arrive to local destination. And soon after you arrive at destination, you are then going to have, and you're going to be eager for it, a quality meal. And that meal should synchronize with the time zone of the local destination. So in other words, if you arrive at 7 a.m., then you would have a really hearty breakfast. If your plane arrives at 1 p.m., you would have a really high quality lunch and you want to try and make it as nutritious as you can. Now, the reason that I'm recommending, and I seldom recommend fasting, the reason that I'm recommending fasting is that fasting experience combined with a local meal at your local destination actually stimulates and kickstarts your circadian rhythm to transition to local time zone in a much more effective manner. And so you're accelerating your transition into that local time zone. It actually shocks the body into a little bit, not as a standalone, but it is one of the tools that we leverage. So that fasting is really helpful. Now, it's not easy. I often do this if I'm traveling to Europe and I sometimes struggle with it because I'm just sitting up there and delivering a meal and I'm trapped and I'm just like, oh, I'm going to do the meal. So I get it. But this is the optimal scenario for you. So if you're serious about it, it's going to actually help. The second section that we talk about then is movement. What should we do with exercise and movement? Well, I mentioned it before. It's a wonderful thing to get up in the morning, your day of travel, and do a nice morning workout before. Now, I would recommend not doing anything too, too difficult or hard. So you don't want to be doing really hard intervals, but getting a good sweat on is really positive. And as ever, post-workout fueling is critical. So that's where you have that nice, big, robust breakfast. Get up, maybe have a little snack if you want to, particularly female athletes. 
then go and do your workout and then boom, the big breakfast and get on with the day, all right? That's gonna be really helpful. You're then going to have as much as you can, a good sleep on the plane. We're gonna talk more about that later. And then when you arrive at destination, I want you to move at destination, all righty? Now this has to be low system stress, but it isn't just all easy because we actually want to stimulate the central nervous system at local time zone. And so if you were a runner, an example might be 30, 40, 50 minutes easy, but a series of what we might call activation, 20 to 30 second pickups going very, very fast, not enough to induce fatigue, but really kickstart the system. And that's gonna help be another tool to shock the system into local time zone. Alrighty, so movement on arrival is really good. Case scenario, arrive as soon as you can, get to the hotel or wherever you're staying, kickstart, get moving, and then have that really robust, nutritious meal, which you're gonna be hungry for, which is terrific. Okay, great, so that's how you do the movement section of this. What about the supplements and light? Well, if you are traveling overnight, and then you've got two options that you might add, okay? And I wouldn't overdo this. The first is some magnesium. That's gonna foster better quality sleep. Now, good, and I don't have any um, official uh, partnership or anything like this, but Pillar Nutrition make a really good magnesium product. You might think about that. 350 to 400 milligrams of magnesium, two to three hours before you get on that plane. So maybe with your lunch, remember that nutritious lunch that we talked about? Take a little bit of magnesium. You can go to your local health food store, your Whole Foods, whatever it is, and just get a nice calcium magnesium supplement, high quality, have that before you hop on the plane. That can foster better sleep quality, at least as much as we can expect when you're lying on a plane. And then finally, melatonin. People often ask me about this. It's absolutely fine. It's a personal decision. It's available over the counter in the US. I'm not sure if it's available over the counter in the UK and Europe, but um, melatonin, not a bad tool to use in the toolbox. Some people report feeling very drowsy afterwards. Other, it has, other folks report having absolutely no impact whatsoever. But melatonin is another option for you to try and help bring yourself down and facilitate a little bit of a better quality sleep. Beyond that, nothing special. Good hydration wouldn't change a thing, wouldn't go into the medicine cabinet to really get much more than that. What's more important in this section is what you're doing with light. And this becomes a really powerful tool when we combine it with the movement we talked about and how we approach meal time. Okay, this is important. And, uh, and if you're really into this stuff, you can actually go out and you can uh, purchase some specific glasses that help with light manipulation and it can alter the filter. So maybe you're sitting in the plane and you have a lot of light and you actually wanna bring that down. Or perhaps early in the flight, you need to do some work on your laptop or the iPad. You can wear these glasses to put you in a quote, darker environment, block out some of the blue light. And that's ensuring that your opted nerve is not receiving daylight signals while you're sitting in the plane, when at your local destination, it's the middle of the night. So if you can, if you want to, you can actually purchase some glasses. They look a little funny, but if you don't mind and don't care what people think about how you look, that can become a tool. Either way, it's gonna be helpful if you can aim to sift, shift like exposure to align with your local time zone that you're chasing. So where you're gonna be arriving at destination. 
It doesn't need to be exact, but if you can try and get onto the plane and when it's dark at destination time zone, you make it as dark as possible in your environment. And then when you arrive, get out into daylight, get out into bright light and tell your eyes and your brain, it's daylight, I'm here, this is where I'm at. And that's gonna help stimulate the brain to understand I'm actually in a different place right now. So on a plane, you can also do this with eye pillows, something that you can cover your eyes and set yourself up for nighttime sleep as possible. So those are the three main character uh, uh, categories that we talk about here. What are some of the extras? A few other tips that you can put in here. So firstly, planes and cars, a little bit of actually the one environment where compression socks are beneficial. So if you are traveling long haul for multiple destinations, compression socks are not a bad idea to wear. They can actually help with venous return, avoid some of the swelling that can occur on a plane or in a long uh, car journey, can help with circulation. And so it's not a bad idea to wear compression socks. Now, a public service announcement here, where compression socks are not cool is when you're wearing shorts and you have to walk through an airport. And so if you do choose to go to an airport and you're wearing shorts and you decide to wear compression socks, would you mind please doing me a personal favor and just do a little bit of audit on yourself and ensure that you're not wearing any apparel that has Purple Patch logo on. Thank you very much, I'd really appreciate it. But anyway, compression socks are a good component. A second little extra, your pillow. We talked about that, but actually bringing your own pillow onto a flight or onto a car can actually help you get better sleep in an environment that is not conducive for really good sleep. So that's a thing that if it's logistically possible, it's great. And then you can use that pillow in the hotel or the Airbnb, the VRBO, wherever you're staying, just don't forget to bring it back with you. Otherwise you lose it and you don't get to use it on the way back. So really important, really beneficial. And then finally, if you really wanna dial this in, if you're really serious, like Jenny is for her trip from New York to Nice where she wants to show up and race, and then you can actually start to shift time zones while you're still at home base. So an approach that Jenny might use here is a gradual shift in her bedtime and wake up. And that's about 30 minutes every night for the four or five days before she leaves for her journey in our scenario from New York to Nice. So in other words, she'll start to go to bed 30 minutes earlier and then the next night, 30 minutes earlier again, the next night, 30 minutes again, and of course waking up 30, 30, 30 minutes earlier on wake up. And that's starting to shift her body clock before she even gets on a plane. And that can be powerful. No more than about three, four or five days that you just stagger it 20 to 30 minutes, but she's gaining a couple of hours of time zone. So if it's possible, that will have a noticeable positive impact on your ability to transfer and adapt to local time zone. Now, a final thing that I do want to add is just sleeping on planes. We know it's not conducive, but when you get on a plane, particularly let's come back to Jimmy, who's got that long haul flight. He's gonna be traveling from LA to London. If it, the way that many people approach this is get on the plane, maybe watch a movie, wait for the meal, 
maybe watch the rest of the movie and then slowly in the middle of the flight say it's time to settle down and then falling asleep and waking up in London in our scenario very, very drowsy. I would, if possible, try and shift that forward a little bit. Get on the plane, lay down, get your pillow out and try and have the sleep a little bit earlier, maybe an hour, 90 minutes into the journey. Get the sleep done early because that sleep, while it might feel like an early bedtime for you at your home destination, at your destination where you're arriving, that's going to be in the middle of the night. So if you can get the sleep done early and you can capture four, five hours where you really get sleep early in that plane, you might wake up. Most of the rest of the plane will be asleep, but you can wake up, put on your little headlight and maybe you do some work or some reading or then watch that movie. But it is the morning time at your local destination. So that's a really important tip for you. So a final section here, folks, pretty meaty travel talk that we're going through, but we need to go through one shorter scenario for you. And that's part three. And this is about travel when you're looking to retain the time zone of your home base. So this one's a little shorter, a little more simple, but this is really focused around management of light, some of your eating habits and movement again. Okay, so let's, let's talk about a classic scenario here. Traveling where folks are maybe doing a short business trip. You're going from LA, you're heading off to New York, you're there for 24 hours, you're heading back to LA. You're not looking to actually get to local time zone here because within 24 or 48 hours, you're gonna be back at your local time zone. See, we want to show up and perform in the time zone destination, but keep ourselves at our home base on our body clock side of things. So let's just go through a few tips on that because I think it's going to be useful. The first thing that we'll address is meals. All right. So let's remember in this scenario, there's no fasting. Travel delivers a massive systemic stress. And when it's a short trip, 24, 48, maybe up to 72 hours, you've got double stress. The trip there and very quickly the trip back. And so we're looking to try and mitigate that stress. That's the first thing. So we've got to equip our body to perform. So in order to do that, I would first avoid hard exercise in the 24 hours before. Exercise is great, avoid hard intervals in the 24 hours before. But then bringing in the meals or the eating habits, you want to first think about hydration. That's a really important component. And the reason for that is that your systemic health and your immune system actually leans on a full hydration status to be running at an optimal level. And the reason for that is your nutrients are circulating around the body via a transport system, which is your blood. And when you get dehydrated, it's a little bit like putting a traffic jam in that trans uh, transport system. It doesn't deliver your nutrients and the components that are necessary for a strong immune system as effectively. And travel facilitates dehydration. If you're in a plane, that's a little bit like being at about nine or 10,000 feet of altitude. You're going to get more dehydrated. And so we want to avoid dehydration because indirectly it's going to support, suppress your immune system and add an additional stressor. Hydration, 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 really important. Getting up, those pee breaks, those pit stops, really beneficial for everything we talked about, shifting body positions, circulating blood, etc. And in that hydration, add a few electrolytes to that. 
Beyond that, your eating is pretty simple. If logistically feasible, here's a way to think about it. I want you to eat at the wrong time. That's a nice way for you to remember it. I want you to eat at the wrong time for where you would typically eat at the destination. In our scenario, heading from LA to New York, eat at the wrong time of New York. Although there is not really a wrong time in New York. It's the city that never sleeps. But what I mean by this is that if, if at all possible, try and keep your meal times at slots that are close to when you would have meals at your home base. Now that might be sometimes unfeasible because of business meals, etc. But the more that you can have your meals at times that remain at your home base, the more that your brain will be tricked into thinking that it's still there. I realize it's not always possible, but if you can do it, it's really helpful. And this takes a little bit of planning ahead and you need to persuade your brain that you're gonna keep it on that time zone. And you can try and do that as well by actually shifting your phone and your clock and your computer and keeping it at local time zone. So they auto populate to new time zones, but you can adjust it and say, I wanna be on this time zone. You can do that in the settings. That's gonna keep it there and keep you on local time. Just don't miss your business meetings that you have to be prepared for. So those are the components that are around mostly meal planning and time zones and trying to trick the brain. Now we wanna talk about movement, okay? As I mentioned, keep exercise lower stress. So there's nothing wrong. In fact, it's really beneficial to move the body when you are exercising. But while you're there, I wouldn't think about ramming hard training into your business travel. Instead, I would think about doing lower stress stuff that can facilitate feeling better. So we're not gonna do hard intervals, we're gonna do feel good stuff. Most of you folks know that I call that soul filling. And so in other words, it's a decompression tool where we're just circulating blood in a raw, more rapid movement to facilitate the dishwashing effect that comes with it. Really, really big. We have to appreciate that two-way stress in a short period delivers a big hammer of stress. And so we wanna meet that by supporting the system with the hydration and the good quality eating, but we're also gonna do it with low stress exercise. That's really important. The final component is light, and this is key. Okay, now, the only part of your body that has a direct connection to the brain is your optic nerve in your eye. And so this is your teller of time, and light is a key component. Before we had our phones and our watches and everything else, we relied in the time of day. And the optic nerve is the great setter of your circadian rhythm. And so the more that you can manipulate your light exposure to remain associated with your local conditions at home, the better it's gonna be for you. Now, don't obsess on this. And I realize it's not all practical, but it's the target. So if you're really cool, you're one of those cool guys. You might be out at the destination time zone and it might be sunny and you're wearing a really dark pair of glasses because you want to keep things a little bit darker. You might even, if possible, be wearing them inside. You have to balance that with the factor of walking into a business meeting in sunglasses, not cool and not necessarily recommended, but you get the point. And on the flip side, you might need to sometimes keep light exposure very, very high in your hotel room 
even though it's getting dark outside so that it is keeping the body on that exposed light. And so the more that you can keep conditions from a light perspective like they would be at home, the better equipped that you're going to be, that you're slowing down the transition to local time zone and you're keeping yourself at that home base. These areas are going to assist. But I should finish with the simple explanation. You're still going to return home tired. And the reason you're going to get home and be tired and feel a little wonky is it's really stressful. A trip both ways over the course of 24 to 48 hours. And so we can't stop you from feeling tired with travel. But what we can do is offset some of the stress, reduce some of the risk that comes with sickness and other components like that, and equip you to actually still shine and perform when you're actually at destination, which is important. So when you do get home, then you get moving again, then you get good quality meals, then you try and get right back onto it. And before you know it, you're going to be firing on all cylinders once again. So folks, that's the travel toolkit. I hope that it helps. Next week, we're going to kick off something that is a three-part series. We're going to do everything around off-season. Now, you don't need to be a training athlete to actually benefit from this. This is going to be three shows in a row that we talk about our approach and the importance of what we label Q4 or off-season. Most of the competing athletes are starting to wind up their racing by the time they're entering October, November time. And we actually kick off for our lifestyle athletes, for our hardcore training triathletes, we kick off a really important component. And for this year, we have completely from the ground up reimagined what that means. It is a completely redeveloped approach to our off-season training. So whether you're looking to show up and do the things that you love really, really well, or whether you're very dedicated to becoming a better athlete with highly ambitious goals next year, these next three shows are going to be really fun and really enjoyable, but most importantly, educational. So have a good one. If you are traveling soon, I hope that these education, occasional lessons uh, help you. But more than that, stay healthy, connect with others, keep supporting one another, and we'll see you next time. Take care. Guys, thanks so much for joining and thank you for listening. I hope that you enjoyed the new format. You can never miss an episode by simply subscribing. Head to the Purple Patch channel of YouTube and you will find it there and you could subscribe. Of course, I'd like to ask you if you will subscribe, also share it with your friends. And it's really helpful if you leave a nice positive review in the comments. Now, any questions that you have, let me know. Feel free to add a comment and I will try my best to respond and support you on your performance journey. And in fact, as we commence this video podcast experience, if you have any feedback at all, as mentioned earlier in the show, we would love your help in helping us to improve. Simply email us at info at purplepatchfitness.com or leave it in the comments of the show at the Purple Patch page and we will get you dialed in. We'd love constructive feedback. We are in a growth mindset, as we like to call it. And so feel free to share with your friends. But as I said, let's build this together. Let's make it something special. It's really fun. We're really trying hard to make it a special experience. And we want to welcome you into the Purple Patch community. With that, I hope you have a great week. Stay healthy. 
Have fun. Keep smiling, doing whatever you do. Take care.